Thank you, Rach. Let's join together in prayer. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we come to his word this morning. We bring thanks to you, Heavenly Father, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that as we come to it, that we would be students of it, not masters of it, but students of it under its authority and praying that you might speak to us with a clear voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come now to chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. And again, by way of observation, we note that the events recorded in it are not unlike the events of chapters 1, 2 and 3. Again, we find the people of God, namely Daniel and his friends, in trouble. Again, we find the king, Nebuchadnezzar, also in trouble. He had a dream and he was troubled by that dream. And we see again how God in his wisdom was dealing with this king, speaking to him, revealing himself to him. Now if you've paid attention to the reading or perhaps you've never heard the chapter read before, you might be surprised at what it says. I say that because you can't help but notice the strange change that comes upon the king. While remaining human, he begins to act and eat and look like a beast of the earth. Yes, you could say a cow or a bull. Now as funny as that may may sound to your ears, I'm sure it wasn't funny for the king at the time, nor for anyone else in Babylon. I don't think anyone was laughing. What happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? Instead, the passage we read concerns the dramatic humbling of this man who would not humble himself. And when you don't humble yourself, God humbles you. To keep things in context, which Drew referred to, chapter 4 records the last of the series of dealings of God with the people of God who were in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. This is the last cycle in which King Nebuchadnezzar is the key player. It's different, however, than the first three stories. In Daniel 1, 2 and 3, there's a specific threat posed against the sons of Judah, whether it be Daniel or his friends, or all those who would refuse to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol of gold. In this chapter, there's no specific threat, although you can surmise that the king telling the dream and giving the dream and asking for the interpretation would not necessarily be an advancement to anyone's career in the court of Babylon. If you didn't come up with the interpretation of the dream, you possibly would have lost your head. Nevertheless, in the passage, we come to the climax of the theme that's been repeated in every chapter now of Daniel 1, 2, 3 and 4. Over and over, the kingdom of God and his sovereign rule over all the kingdoms of the world has been repeated and emphasised. We come to the climax of that theme in chapter 4. God's sovereignty over both nations and individuals is celebrated in each of the stories. In chapter 1, his sovereignty over the nations and individuals is shown in the way he gave wisdom to Daniel and his three friends who survived the testing of captivity, whether or not they should eat the king's food. 
In chapter 2, God's sovereignty is shown in that Daniel alone is able to interpret the dream which was given to the king that none of his counsellors or diviners was able to interpret. Then last week, we saw how God's sovereignty was expressed when Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, known to us as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, survived the fiery furnace. And there in that fiery furnace was a fourth, the Son of God, who came to be with them and protect them. And now in chapter 4, we come to the king's own confession. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I might be king, but God is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But it didn't happen easily, did it, to get the king to that point. Three things. Let's note, first of all, what the king dreamed. Uh, This is the second of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams in the book of Daniel, uh, dreams that came to him from God. You might think that God would even bother to communicate anything at all to this heathen king. You might think it's strange that God would even bother to communicate anything at all to him. But God knew what he was doing. At the time, he was the most powerful king in the whole world. And setting himself up in that way meant that God needed and wanted to work on him. So this dream was for a purpose. And in this dream, the king was shown a large tree, fruitful, shady, welcoming, with all sorts of birds and creatures in its branches and under its boughs. But the tree wasn't around for long, unexpectedly, brutally, physically, permanently cut down, leaving just a stump and the stump became a man and that man lived for seven years eating and drinking and living like an animal. Now you wonder if by this stage that King Nebuchadnezzar might have begun to put two and two together. See, in his last dream about the statue that came crashing down, the interpretation of the dream showed that he was the central figure of the dream. Now here he has a dream about a tree and the tree comes crashing down and you think, maybe he's got the picture by now. I wonder if he realised at the time that the message of the dream was a warning that he would have to heed. Or would he, because of pride, simply pass it off? Now, there's a couple of things in the dream that are a bit odd. Um, If you're not familiar with the terminology of the Bible, angelic watchers, a bit strange. They're likely just to be angels or the company of heaven that watched. And then with reference to the interpretation of the dream, it may well that the dream had a sneaking suspicion about precisely what this dream meant, but he wanted someone to confirm that. He didn't threaten his wise men and astrologers with death, but he did invite Daniel to come and deliver the blow to him. What are the purpose of the dream? Well, it's so well summed up by Sinclair Ferguson, a commentator who says here, the purpose of this dream 
and the decree was not left to the king's imagination. It was to teach men that God reigns, that he sets up and pulls down kingdoms, that his action in history focuses on the work of humbling men in order that they may dispense with their foolish pride and acknowledge him as their God. Second, let's see what the king learned. Daniel's interpretation of the dream is found in verses 19 to 27 and they reveal, these verses, that the king's suspicions were confirmed. In fact, the dream fitted the picture of his kingdom very well. As ruler over all the regions that he conquered, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was like a tree, big and fruitful and expansive, and under his branches all these nations had been conquered and had come to live. And even though these people were captives of the king, prisoners, they're at least enjoying the opportunity to be alive. But that part of that dream would really have caused the king to lose some sleep. That bit about becoming a stump and living like a beast. Whether or not he would believe it to be true was an issue to be determined. For now this warning to humble himself was urgent or else the consequences of his unchecked pride would lead him to being humbled in a way that he would rather not be. And I'm sure that you or I would not want it for ourselves. So notice in these verses, when Daniel speaks to the king and explains to the king the dream, he issues a dire warning to him and therefore teaches us that in order that we might truly know God, truly confess God, in order that we might know him as Lord as he is, God pursues the root sin of pride. This contest between God and Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel is one of the great contests in the scriptures. It ranks with Moses appearing before Pharaoh. It ranks with Elijah standing before Ahab. It ranks with John the Baptist standing before Herod. It ranks with Jesus standing before Pilate. It ranks with Paul standing before King Agrippa. It's one of the great contests between a man of God and a man of this world. And yet despite the severity of the warning and the threat of the judgment, it seems that the king had this impenetrable aura about himself. This will never happen to me. I've heard the dream. I've heard the interpretation of the dream, but no. It's funny how he didn't treat the more difficult parts of the dream with the gravity it deserved, having already allowed the better parts to go to his head. Once again, we see the truth that pride is dangerous. One of the oldest sins in the book. The very reason we believe why Satan was kicked out of heaven. And while we mightly say that there is time, there are times when pride has a certain place in our lives and that a good kind of pride is good, it's also true that before God, 
to come before God, it has no place. For to act as though we're in control and that we tell him what to do instead of the other way around is surely an affront to him. What have we got, the scriptures ask? What have you got that you have not received from him? Everything comes from him. Even the breath that you breathe comes from God. You've got nothing of your own. And this is what the king failed to see, that all his wealth and all his glory and all his honour was a gift of God and not a result of his own hands. And as he walked on the balcony of his palace and as he looked around and said, my, look at my wonderful kingdom, look what I have done. See, pride is a snare that brings people down. You all know the expression, pride comes before a fall. It was pride that led to the downfall of King Herod in the book of Acts, who, like the king Nebuchadnezzar, exalted himself. It didn't take long for God to deal with his pride. He dealt with it on the spot. He was struck down and he died. We ought to be so thankful that God doesn't do that in you and in me whenever he spots that pride with eye in the middle, like sin with eye in the middle. But in one sense, God does judge our pride. For a death, what value are riches? What value is power? What value is money? What value is honour? What value is high thoughts? What value is esteem from among others? What value in the end does God place upon the things we hold to as the source of our pride? He says these things are nothing. They're dust. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that at death the rich man and the poor man go to the grave as equals. Death is the great leveller. When we die, we come before God with nothing and not even human pride will stand up before him. There is only one refuge, there's only one safe place and that's to be humbled and find salvation in Christ. Thirdly, verses 28 to 37, we read of what the king became. We're not told by the text whether the king took this seriously at all. He may have said to Daniel, thanks but no thanks, I'll just keep going as I am. He may have written the whole thing off as laughable. We tend to do that to ourselves, don't we? Sometimes with the warnings in scripture, sometimes we tend to think that God won't do as he promised that he will do. He won't judge the non-believer. He won't destroy the world. We gloss over Bible stories like the flood in Noah's day and forget that God gives warnings and God enacts upon those warnings. We forget that God will do everything he has promised in his word that he said he will do. And with the king, God did everything he said he would. Twelve months later. See, God gave him a year to sort it out. Twelve months later, he had every opportunity to repent and humble himself. Twelve months later, his pride had reached peak. 
It happens as he's walking upon the roof of his magnificent palace. It's just as the king was saying to himself, well, aren't I wonderful? Aren't I great? Aren't I it in a bit? And the next verses tell us what came upon the king and his transformation from king to beast began as he lost sanity, he lost respect, he lost position, he lost honour, he lost control and ultimately he lost his dignity. From king to beast of the field. And although this affliction sounds a little bit on the funny side, who ever heard of a king trading his grand feasting table for a paddock of grass? I can assure you this was no joke. This was a humbling of the first degree. This was a bringing down of mammoth proportions. And why? Because the king failed to acknowledge that God is God and he is not. And he refused to acknowledge that all his power and all his authority had come from him above. Now someone might say the Bible's making this up. Men don't turn into beasts. Maybe so. Let me tell you of an account of something that happened in the UK in 1946. A patient in an institution was diagnosed with a disease called boanthropy. And here follows an eyewitness account of this man with this condition. The patient was a man in his early 20s who had been in psychiatric hospital for five years. His symptoms were fully recognisable by the time of his admission. He was average height and weight, in excellent health, except that from dawn to dusk he would roam the hospital grounds eating grass. That is... Not every bit of grass, but particular types of grass that were different to other types of grass and other weeds growing in the hospital lawns. In the winter time, the man was outside all the time wearing only light clothing, but he never caught a cold, never caught a chill, never caught the flu. He never ate hospital food with the other patients. He ate from a bowl of water placed to avert him from drinking from puddles. His hair was long and coarse, his fingernails were strong and thickened and his muscles were also. He was seemingly immune from every other kind of disease that all the other patients got. He was cooperative, he was reasonable and he never hurt anyone. It's a rare condition. It matches well this king living and acting like a beast of the field that Daniel records. The only thing was different in this case with the king's illness, he was instantaneously healed. The reference is he looked up to heaven. He lifted his eyes to heaven. I take that to be in repentance and as a plea for mercy. He lifted his eyes for heaven and he knew that God ruled and not he. What a lesson to learn. What lengths God went to to humble him because he refused to humble himself. 
three quick applications. First, I think the lesson here is plain that warnings must be heeded. If the king wanted to blame anyone at all for what happened, he could only blame himself. It's not as though God gave him a moment's notice. God gave him a year's notice. A year's notice, remember that. We can only assume from his inactivity about what he felt at the time, that he thought he was joking or wrong, or that there would be plenty of time, plenty more tomorrows. How wrong he turned out to be. No doubt you've heard of people who've had warnings, strokes are warnings, heart attacks are warnings, and yet these people refuse. I'm just going to ignore that. Some people, of course, heed the warning medically. Consider the cost the king paid because he failed to heed the warning. Even the people of Nineveh heeded the warning of Jonah's preaching, but this king ranked himself with the neighbours of Noah who also heard what was going to come upon the face of the earth over a 100 and sorry, about an 85-year period. Let's not be foolish. Let's not be foolish, but heed the plain warnings of God. The second lesson here is that God's mercy triumphs. The story is about how God, uh, the true king, brought the earthly king down low to teach him that he was mighty, but only God is almighty. But we can't leave out of the same picture that while God humbled the king, he lifted him up again. After letting him suffer as he decreed, he restored him and his kingdom and his power and his honour and his majesty and God led him away from pride through repentance towards faith in God. And so it came from his own lips, from his own lips, that all the the world... All the earth should worship the God of Daniel, who was his God, the God of heaven. It's a strange road by which the king is led to faith. A strange road indeed. And one I wouldn't recommend to you as being the one you should choose. Far better instead now to trust in the mercy of God now while the opportunity is before you now before it's too late. Far better to learn the ropes of what repentance is about than be cast down with a hardened heart. Far better to do what Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, to do it to yourself, for then he will lift you up. Humble yourself, Do that before he goes to great lengths to bring you down. And how true that is of our Saviour. And that's the third point here. Let's remember this morning as we come to the Lord's Supper. What did Jesus do for us? He humbled himself. God had no need to humble his son. Because he humbled himself. And he did it all the way to death on a cross. Even death on a cross 
says Paul in Philippians 2. And because he humbled himself so, a God exalted him, says Philippians 2, and given him the name that is above every name, a name greater than Nebuchadnezzar's. And by his humbling himself, we now live in the wonderful grace of God. Forgiveness won for us, full and free, all won by him who gave himself over to death for his people. Will you come to him? Will you humble yourself before him? Yes, it costs everything, but like the pearl of great price, it's worth everything. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Father, we come to thank you for your word today. It's not an easy word to accept because it strikes against our desire to be the number one of our own lives, to pull the strings, to make the rules, to be the king, to wear the crown, not to take orders from anyone, especially not from you. But we come perhaps to this such important point that if we keep on doing that, if we refuse to bow the knee, there are consequences that are far beyond our control. We see in this the danger of pride. We see in this the amazing door that opens because of humility. Thank you that you sent your son for us because we couldn't save ourselves. We needed a saviour. And we needed a perfect saviour. And we needed someone who would take the price, take the cost, bear the brunt of your wrath and anger. And in Jesus we have one who did just that. So help us, because this is the gospel we're talking about. This is the good news. Help us to respond in faith to him who gave himself for us, that we might give ourselves to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.